Father, that's really the prayer for each one of us this morning. We each come here this morning when just being honest with ourselves that, that our own hearts are hard in a way, our own hearts are tempted to turn away from you and to demand our own way and to try to do things on our own, to try to comfort ourselves and strengthen ourselves. And yet, Father, when we're also honest with ourselves, we know that the only reason we're here and the only reason we've come to where we are is because of your grace and your faithfulness and, in particular, because of the work of the Spirit on our hearts. And so, Father, we're thankful for that work that you've done on each one of our hearts. And, Father, we're thankful for the opportunity now to, to dive into your word because we know that we need to hear you speak. We need your guiding. We need your leading in our lives. We need you to strengthen us and to renew us and to restore us. And, Father, we know that you do that through your word. And so, Father, we pray that now as we switch and as we, as we come to your word, that, that you would speak to us this morning and that you'd speak clearly and, and powerfully to each one of us this morning. And we, we all have different things going on. We have distractions and busyness and our own anxieties and our own fears, and they can all distract us. And yet, Father, we pray that during this time that you would just push that off to the side so that we could all hear you speak clearly and that you would speak right to our hearts and that we would walk away changed as a result. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we have been working through the Gospel of John for a while, and we have a while to go, since there's 21 chapters in John and we're in seven. But we're doing it in fits and, start and we're, starts, and we're just kind of faithfully plodding through. So if you have your Bibles with you, we, we're looking at John 7, verses 40 through 52. It's the last part of John 7. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, there are some in the pews, but it'll also be up on the screen as well. Remember what happened right before this passage is that the Feast of Booths was going on or the Feast of Tabernacles was going on and in the middle of a big celebration in the temple, Jesus was kind of disruptive and he kind of cries out loudly in the middle of the festival, in the middle of the temple, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink and you'll be satisfied. And in the midst of that, here's how everyone responds to that proclamation. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he's the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants? From Bethlehem, the town where David lived, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who, had asked, and who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he's deceived you too? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. 
But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it. You'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. It's a, it's a short story, um, but I love this story. You'll find out why. But I want to start off by talking a little bit about the Holy Spirit, um, which actually, much of what is going on in that passage has to do with the Holy Spirit. You will find out, I'll explain myself later, but I want to set the stage because it's Pentecost Sunday. It's a Sunday where we remember and we celebrate God pouring out the Holy Spirit on God's people. Um, But I think as we talk about the Holy Spirit this morning, we're going to talk about him in ways that are often um, neglected or or overlooked. Um, And I was was thinking about that. C.S. Lewis has this really famous quote, and I'm not going to quote him directly, but he has this famous quote about actually Satan and demons. And he said that most people make one of two mistakes when it comes to Satan and demons. They either, on the one hand, they go through the world pretending like they're not there and just kind of ignoring them, or on the other hand, they're looking for Satan and demons under every rock and behind every sneeze and behind whatever and always kind of living in fear. And he says, actually, Satan and demons are fine with either one because either one's giving them more power and authority than they actually have. And I think Christians make the same kind of mistake with the Holy Spirit often. We have, most Christians either on the one hand live as if the Holy Spirit is, has nothing to do with their life, isn't acting, isn't doing anything with them, and they just kind of obliviously go through life not recognizing the work of the Holy Spirit in them. But on the other hand, some are always on the lookout behind every nook and cranny, behind every little thing looking for the work of the Spirit. And I think some of that comes down to um, we, we want to see the power of the Holy Spirit and we think we don't see it. And so we, we want to see the power of the Holy Spirit and, and we think the power of the Holy Spirit has to come in those moments where we go, whoa, wasn't expecting that. Or those moments where we get goosebumps and something like supernatural happens, and we think, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And because we don't experience that often, we either on the one hand just go, well, the Holy Spirit must not be doing anything, and we just kind of forget it. Or we feel like we'd have to be on the lookout for it all the time and try to find it. But really, the primary work of the Holy Spirit is in things that we often overlook and think are kind of boring. But they're no less powerful. Um, Here's an analogy that that the Apostle Paul gives when he's talking about spiritual warfare, right? So we, like Chris Reformed Church, we don't talk about spiritual warfare a lot. But here's what Paul says about the the role of the Holy Spirit in spiritual warfare. He says, in all circumstances as Christians, we need to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we think, well, that's boring. (laughs) You're telling me to just read my Bible? Yes, that's spiritual warfare. 
And he says, you know, when, when a lot of people have gone through the, the armor of God, they, they always kind of point out, what's the only weapon we're given? Everything else is defensive armor. The only weapon is, is a sword. And the sword is of the Holy Spirit, and it's, it's the Word of God. That's the tool we have in this spiritual battle that we're in. It's the Word of God. And it, and it makes sense because who was the one working to help the Bible be written? The Holy Spirit, right? So we read in Second Peter, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so as they were, one of my professors explained it really well, that as, like, we're in the Gospel of John, so as John was writing away, John got done writing the Gospel and went, that's exactly what I wanted to say. And God said, that's exactly what I wanted to say. Um, and it's because the Holy Spirit was at work in that moment. So everything in the Bible is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit. So it makes sense that when the Spirit wants to work in our life, He's going to use the Word that, that He inspired. And, and even Jesus, in you know, about six more chapters, we'll get to this. He says, when the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father is going to send in my name, when He comes, He's going to teach you. He's going to teach you all things, and he's going to bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you, that the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to teach us, to work in us, to help us understand God's Word and apply that to our lives. And that's where his power comes in is through the Word of God. Not in all of the crazy, miraculous stuff, but it's through the Word of God. And, and what's interesting is, is that when the power of the Holy Spirit comes out through the Word of God, and it kind of penetrates like a sword, uh, people respond in, in very different ways. Right? So we see that in this morning's passage. Last week, Jesus kind of causes a disruption in the temple. He cries out loudly, disrupts a ceremony, I think. Disrupts the whole ceremony and says, if you're thirsty, come to me and I'll, I'll give you water to drink. You'll be satisfied in me. And so the, the sword of the Spirit's going out through his word. And, and here's how people respond. They heard these words. Some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over Jesus. And we're going to dive into it a little bit more, but one of the things I want us to notice about this is that when the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, when it goes out, it causes division. We, we don't always think about that, but it happens all the time. And there's division about Jesus, and there's division about his teaching. And, and it keeps happening there. And actually, one of the things that was pointed out this week as I was studying this, that this actually does, it's not just division out in the world, but this is division in the church. Division amongst the people of God, that when the word of God comes, the sword of the Spirit comes, it causes 
division. Some people are curious. Some people reject it. Some people are really angry about it. And some people believe. But either way, every time it comes out, it causes division. Um, and so one group hears Jesus say this, and they, they say, this really is the prophet. And we think, that's good. Like, they're close. They, they're not, they don't think he's the Messiah yet, but, but they think he's the prophet, so this is a really good thing, right? But if you start to think about it, they say that that's what they believe, but they don't actually believe that he's the prophet. Because if they believed that he was a prophet, they would listen to him. And Jesus said, I'm more than a prophet. <laughs> I'm the Son of God. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. And if you actually think that that's who I am, then you need to listen to me and believe in me. And so the fact that they were like, well, this guy's a really good teacher, Jesus would respond to them and say, then you haven't been paying attention to my teaching. You don't actually believe I'm a prophet. Because if you thought I was a prophet, you would listen to me. And you would know that I'm the son of God. And you would believe that. So they miss it. Another group says, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Hasn't the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David? Comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? This is like my favorite line. Actually, there's one more line that's even better. It's when the Pharisees say it. Um, but, but John, the whole gospel of John, he likes to use irony. And I think he's, John's writing this with kind of a sly little grin on his face. And he's like, these people are rejecting Jesus by actually proving that he's the Messiah. They're saying, we know this guy can't be the Messiah because he wasn't born in Bethlehem. He's not from the line of David. We know he can't be the Messiah. And John's like... <laughs> You don't know him as well as you think you do. And I love, there was a line in, in Calvin, John Calvin this week where he said, some people work harder to reject Jesus than they do to just believe him. And, and this group of people is working so hard to reject him that they actually prove that Jesus is who he says he is and prove their own ignorance, and they actually kind of bring condemnation upon themselves in that. And we see the Pharisees, they do the same thing, but the Pharisees aren't just, you know, the Pharisees in this passage, they're not just working to reject Jesus. Like They show absolute hatred and contempt for Jesus in this passage, and, and repeatedly. And they actually show hatred and contempt for anyone who even wants to talk about or think about Jesus. And so, like, the moment someone mentions Jesus, they just explode on them, and, and they just start calling them a bunch of names, right? So the Pharisees and the chief priests, they had sent the temple guards out to arrest Jesus, and the temple guards come back, and they're like, we're not touching that guy. And their response is, are you stupid? <laughs> that's, that's the Jason translation. Like, how stupid are you? Are you deceived too? Are you led astray by, by all these people? Later on, Nicodemus starts kind of pointing out some of their hypocrisies. Like, doesn't our own law tell us we need to listen to him at least? And they don't say, well, our law says. They say, are you from Galilee too? 
Are you some redneck hillbilly like that guy? Like only some dumb redneck would listen to that. And, and one of the things that, that shows up in this passage that as like the result, why are the Pharisees, why do they hate him so much and hate anyone that listens to Jesus? And it's a result of their pride. And, and it comes up in this passage in a really big way that they kind of think they are God's gift to humanity. They are the smartest, the wisest, the most powerful people. And so when the temple guards say, like, we're not touching that guy because nobody's ever spoke like him, their response is, have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd who doesn't know the law and they're accursed, they're the ones believing in him? And the Pharisees, are their response when people start questioning Jesus is, does anyone that really matters believe this guy like us? Like none of us. Like we are the smart ones. We have studied and devoted our lives and none of us believe in him. And so the only people that are believing him are, are the crowds, the, the stupid people, the fools. They're the only ones that would ever believe in him. But us, we're not believing in him. So what's wrong with you? But what I love is in the midst of their prideful kind of puffing out their chest, John puts these words in the mouths of the Pharisees. Search and see, no prophet arises from Galilee. And John goes, <laughs> you're not as smart as you think you are. Jesus didn't arise from Galilee. <laughs> you don't know Jesus as well as you think you do. You don't know the scriptures as well as you think you do. You are not as smart as you think you are. But the last line in there, I think, is, is really interesting. The Pharisees say, go to the Scriptures. And if you go there, you'll see clearly that Jesus is not the Messiah. And yet, just a few chapters earlier, Jesus said, go to the Scriptures. And if you read the scriptures, you'll see clearly that I'm the Messiah. And it's interesting, isn't it? That, that two groups of people can come to the same book and say, go there. It'll show you that I'm, that I'm right. And what's going on, right? This whole passage is really about that. Jesus proclaims the word of God and people hear the same word of God and they all respond very differently to it. And the question is, what's that all about? What's with all of the, the division that happens when the Word of God goes out? And the answer is, everything we talked about at the beginning, it's, well, there's two things. The hardness of our own heart and the work of the Holy Spirit. The only differences in there. The, the question is, how does anyone ever rightly understand the Word of God well, the one who inspired the Word of God has to do a work in your heart and has to do a work in your heart so that you understand it and then he helps you start living according to it. 
that's the only way. We read in Hebrews, the Word of God, is it's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Like the Word of God is this powerful tool that the Spirit uses to pierce our hearts, penetrate our souls, and change us from the inside out, or it doesn't. And the only difference between when the Word of God goes out and just lands flat and causes confusion and anger and rejection, and when the Word of God goes out and it pierces hearts and changes lives, the only difference is is the Spirit at work changing that, opening those people's eyes. The problem's not in the Word of God. The problem's in our own hearts, and the only way our own hearts are overcome is through the work of the Holy Spirit. And you can can read and study and read and study and read and study the Bible apart from the Holy Spirit, and you'll come out on the other side blind and deaf and dumb and hard-hearted. Because the Spirit hasn't been doing a work in you. And I'm going to say, just from personal experience, the more you read and study the Bible apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, the deafer you get, the blinder you get, the dumber you get. We see that in 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 the Pharisees. I've seen that, sadly, in friends of mine who've gone on to get PhDs, and they're very intelligent and know nothing about the Word of God. Um, There's a beautiful moment after the resurrection where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and of course, they're really, they're like us. They're always kind of confused about what's going on, and Jesus is trying to explain what just happened, what's going to happen, but then it says this. It says, Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and because of what we know the work of the Holy Spirit is, Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures through the work of the Holy Spirit. In them, because that's what the Spirit does. He opens our minds to understand that. But that's the only way we ever understand the Word of God is through the work of the Holy Spirit. And, And it's important for us to understand that if you do understand the Word of God in any way, shape, or form, it is not because you're very smart. (laughs) And it's not because you're better than anybody else. It's because the Spirit did something in you and opened your eyes to see it and understand it. Um, And apart from that, you will keep searching and searching and searching and never finding. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, the Pharisees will keep saying, search the Scriptures and you'll see that Jesus is not the Messiah. We hear that all the time today from people, right? If you just read it, you would understand that he's not actually the Messiah He was a good guy. He was a prophet. He was a teacher. But if you just read your Bible, no. But when the Spirit works, you read your Bible and you go, he's the one. And then you see your life actually changed. And, you know, that's why whenever the Word of God goes out, from the beginning of time to the end of time, whenever the Word of God goes out, it's going to cause division. Because our hearts are hard. And the Spirit has to do a work. And so the Word of God's going to come out and some will be curious and think, well, that's interesting. I should pay attention to that. 
Some will work really hard to reject it and denounce it and deny it. Some will hear the word of God and they'll screech and be angry and scream and and yell. And some will believe. And the only difference is the work of the Holy Spirit. And what we have to realize is that that division is not just out in the world. That division is also going to happen in the church. Because the Spirit, our hearts are still hard as well. Um, and we still need the Spirit to work in us. And so even in the church, there will always be a level of tension and disagreement and division about who Jesus is and what he taught. It's, it's always going to be there. And uh, you know, I came across this line from John Calvin. He said, there's no reason why our consciences should be distressed when we see those who wish to be accounted the people of God fighting with each other with contrary opinions. He said, we shouldn't be so worried about this because this has always been the case and our hearts are hard. But then he says, but it ought to be observed that divisions do not properly draw their origin from the gospel. Um, For there can be no firm agreement among men um, except in undoubted truth. And what he's saying is, we shouldn't be so concerned when there's divisions in the church, because that's always been there and our hearts are very hard, but recognize that the division is not there because God's word is not clear. The division is there because our hearts are hard. And the only way there will not be division in the church, the only way there will be actual unity in the church, is when we see the undoubted truth of the gospel in the undoubted truth of God's word. When we see that truth, then we can be united. And how do we see that truth? Through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way the church will ever be united. And, and the powerful thing is, is that when, we begin, when the Spirit begins to work in us and open our eyes to see the truth of God's word, and then he starts to apply it to our lives and transforms our hearts and transforms our mind, then we see the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm going to say something very clearly and strongly this morning. The power of the Holy Spirit is not primarily seen through prophecies, healings, miracles, or speaking in tongues. That's That's not the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is when God takes his word and completely transforms your life. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, aside from the Holy Spirit, you were dead. The Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And the Spirit came in and he raised you to life. He says you were, you were a slave to your sin. And he set you free in Christ Jesus. He said, you were walking down a path of death and destruction. You were, everything was falling apart and the Spirit came in and He raised you to new life. He set your feet on the path of life. He renewed your strength and He moved you forward. That's power. And, and if, and if we think that the power of the Holy Spirit is more manifest in all of these miracles and healings and all of that kind of stuff, we don't actually realize how dead we were and how much sin we had and what work the Spirit had to do to bring us back to even the level of life we have right now. 
That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he did when he saved you, and that's actually the power of the Holy Spirit that he's doing in you now as he continues to renew you and shape you and and kind of bring you to the end of the race. But there's another part of this passage that I think is really helpful, and I think it should give us all hope and confidence because the power of the Holy Spirit working to change and transform lives, it works differently in different people. So I've watched in my life before, I've watched where the gospel has come in, they've heard, they've been pierced with the sword of the Spirit, and like overnight their entire life changed. It was just a complete transformation. But that's not always the way that it happens. I would say not for most of us, which is actually why I love Nicodemus. Um, Because we, we hear about Nicodemus like four chapters ago, almost five chapters ago, at the beginning of chapter three. And he's, you know, he's a big shot. He's one of the top Pharisees. And he comes, he sneaks in and talks to Jesus in the middle of the night because he wants to find out about Jesus. And just to tie that conversation in with this morning's, what does Jesus tell Nicodemus in that conversation? Nicodemus, you're going to be blind. You can't see anything unless you're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Nicodemus walks away confused because he wasn't born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was still blind. Now, five chapters later, Nicodemus pops on the scene and, and we hear Nicodemus, who had went to Jesus before, don't forget that, and he was still one of them, meaning the Pharisees. And John's kind of setting this up, saying, remember who Nicodemus is. He snuck in to talk to Jesus that night, but he's still a Pharisee. He still hasn't left the Pharisees. But Nicodemus says, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Not a profession of faith at all. Not even a really a defense of Jesus. But what's interesting is he's questioning the Pharisees a little bit. He's going, wait, I thought you guys loved the law. But now you want to break the law? And you see the Spirit beginning to work in Nicodemus. And actually what I love about the way John sets this up, because remember what, what the Pharisees said earlier. Have any of us Pharisees believed in him? And John has Nicodemus speaking up to say, Some of you are starting to. (laughs) But he's not there yet. But you kind of watch this progression of Nicodemus kind of working from confusion to questioning. And I'll give you a peek at the end of the story because it'll be a long time before we're in chapter 19. But after Jesus' death, Nicodemus comes on the scene again. And says, Nicodemus, who earlier went to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. And Nicodemus, who had went to Jesus at night, is now going to Jesus in the middle of the day before the whole world to see to anoint him. And John doesn't say Nicodemus believed, but actions speak pretty loud here. That this long process from chapter 3... 16 chapters later, we see Nicodemus going, I know who this guy is now, and I believe. And that's also the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Not just in the instant automatic transformation of a life, but the slow, like, chipping away. (laughs) Because some of us are really stubborn. (laughs) 
And he just keeps chipping and chipping and chipping and chipping. And after how many years, finally the spirit goes, now see. And Nicodemus goes, oh, I see. And he believes. And that's the power of the, the Holy Spirit as well. And I, for me, like, I think that should just give us all hope, right? I think most of us, I mean, some of us rices, we are more stubborn than the average folk. Um, so it gives us more hope that like, eventually the Holy Spirit is more stubborn than us. Um, and he will win. And no matter how hard my heart is and how much I reject him and how much I try to do it on my own, the Spirit's just going to keep coming back and saying, no, you're mine. You're mine. Stop it. <laughs> you're mine. And he will win. Even if it takes a really long time, he will keep coming back and he will transform your life. And then we participate in that by doing what? By opening up God's Word and reading it. Because that's how the Holy Spirit works. He works through the Word. And so we go to God's Word and we read it every day. And we come to church and we hear Him speak through His Word. And we keep coming to that because the Spirit works through the Word and transforms our lives and our hearts and our minds in that way. And then we pray. And we say, Spirit, help me. That's why I start my sermon that way all the time. Help us to see we do that every day, and then we trust that as we're reading the Bible and as we're praying, the Spirit's working. Do we notice it? No. Not always, sometimes. But five, ten years later, you look back at where you were five, ten years ago, and you go, I'm a completely different person. And it's not because you were smarter, and it's not because you were better, but it's because the Holy Spirit was at work in you, transforming your heart transforming your life. And we have confidence that he will win in our life too. And we have confidence that he can win in the lives of others as well. We think of Rick. We've been praying for him for so long as he's been nearing death because of a terminal cancer diagnosis. We've been praying and we've been praying. We've been saying, Spirit, work. And we see a little softening, little cracks, little movement, a little more curiosity, wondering, and we have confidence. The Spirit can win that battle. And our job isn't to be the Spirit. Our job isn't to just like punch him in the face and say, like, wake up. The Spirit will do that in his own way. Our job is to be faithful, to live and act amongst people according to the Word of God. Be the people of God out in the world, and the Spirit works through that. Speak the Word of God to people faithfully, and the Spirit works through that. And then we do that, and we just trust the Spirit works. And when the Spirit works, He will win. Sometimes it takes 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 50 years for some people. But when the Spirit works, He will win. And so our job is to go out, be faithful. Live faithfully, speak faithfully, and then just trust that the Spirit will work. Let's come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we... We are thankful for your faithfulness, and especially this morning as we are reminded of the work of the Spirit in our life, and we're also then reminded of our own hardness of heart, our own stubbornness, our own rebellion. And Lord, we know that you could have easily thrown us off and walked away from us so long ago. 
and you haven't. You've been faithful. And you faithfully continue to draw us back to yourself. You faithfully continue to shape us and mold us and correct us. And so, Father, on the one hand, we come to you and we just ask your forgiveness. Father, we're sorry for our own hardness of heart. We're sorry for our rebellion. We're sorry for our stubbornness and our pride and our arrogance. And we just ask that you would forgive us. And we ask that you would cleanse us. And we ask that you would renew us. And Father, we ask that your spirit would continue to work in us, not only to remind us and reassure us of the forgiveness we have, but that your spirit would work in us to shape us and mold us and transform us to be the people you've called us to be in the world. Father, help us to have that hope and confidence that you will win in our lives and you will win in the lives of your people. And then help us to go out and be faithful, to be a faithful witness, to faithfully live according to your word, to faithfully teach your word and trust you to do your work. And just help us to live with that prayer that you told us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.